My name is Deepa. I'm a faculty in the Information Systems area at the Indian School of Business. I'm also the Deputy Dean for Executive Education and Digital Learning in the school. Gender diversity, its antecedents and consequence are of immense interest to me. On the one hand, I recognize that I, like many of you, am an outcome of the significant strides that we've taken towards gender equality in the last couple of decades. Basic civil rights, more career opportunities relative to our mothers and their mothers, and most important, more freedom and power to tell our truths and stories and be heard by the world. Yet, despite this progress, my life, living, and most important, the research that I do and consume have also shown me that we have miles to go before the glass ceiling turns into a glass floor. Here's what the world of economy and business that we walk in and into looks like. Women make up the majority of skilled workers in only 68 of 145 countries. They make up the majority of managers in only four of those countries. Women's labor force participation in India is an abysmal 26%. The more educated are more likely to drop out from the labor force. Women hold only 5 to 7% of senior management roles in the country, 4.7% of the CEO population, and 3.6% of board chairs, down by 0.9% since 2018. Not only do women rarely make it to the top, they face more difficult choices in their personal lives in getting there. In India, the pressures created in our personal lives by work are amplified by startlingly conservative social norms. In a survey in 2012, 84% of Indians agreed that men have more right to work than women when jobs are scarce. Indian women do 90% of the housework, the most of any large country. In the last couple of years, I've become very driven to try and understand what holds women back. But I want to pause and ask, why should you care? Why should we care about building diverse organizations? Why should organizations care about diversity? Well, you could turn to one body of research that points to the benefits of gender diversity. Diverse boards, it is argued, create more radical innovations, moonshots that help the firm move into new markets, etc. This is because it is also known that gender-diverse boards have more unique competencies than gender-similar boards. They also have better advisory quality. Research also shows that diversity begets diversity. This is borne out in evidence from industry. Globally, companies with women CEOs have significantly more women on their boards than those run by men. 33.5% versus 19.4% respectively. But overall, a review of 50 years of social science research in diversity shows that the performance advantages of diversity are often found under very narrow conditions and that there are no consistent positive main effects for diversity on work group performance. That the business case in terms of demonstrable financial results for diversity remains hard to support based on existing research. But these findings do not at all imply that integration and diversity for reasons of equal access and opportunity are not appropriate, desirable and necessary. They do not imply that. They also do not imply that discrimination 
does not exist. In fact, if discrimination exists, then the research is underestimating the benefits of diversity because you are likely keeping out large swaths of qualified women who are not motivated to join the workforce because of discriminatory practices. Indeed, in India, research implicates the significant gender wage gap for low rates of labor force participation. If you brought these women into the workforce, then those studies, those very studies would likely show a significant positive effect for the impact of diversity on performance. So let's talk then about biases that plague women. Our biases are revealed in many implicit association tests. Let me give you an example. Joel Emerson talks about a test that she conducts in tech companies. She's a diversity consultant. She starts by having everybody practice raising his or her right hand and saying right, and then raising his or her left hand and saying left. Then she gives the test. Raise your right hand if the word pertains to male or to science, and your left hand if the word is female or liberal arts related. The audience accomplishes this without much trouble. And then comes the revelatory moment. This time we're going to swap the categories, Emerson says, instructing the group to raise their left hand if a word is male or liberal arts oriented and their right for a female or science learning term. And a series of words flash on the screen. Chemistry, history, sister, son, English, math, girl, physics, niece, boy, and the room devolves into chaos and chagrined laughter. People's brains just don't go there. Emerson explains that regardless of what order the tasks are presented in, three quarters of the people in the room and even higher who take the test are slower to respond when asked to link women with science and men with liberal arts. These biases, implicit associations that we make, are particularly rife in sectors depending on their foundational beliefs. A 2015 study published in Science confirms that computer science and certain other fields such as physics, math, philosophy, fetishize brilliance or genius, cultivating the idea that potential is inborn. The study also finds that these fields tend to be problematic for women. Women are underrepresented in these fields. Why? Because of the stubborn assumption that genius is a male trait. So you see the many stereotypes and biases at work here. First, we are stereotyping. We are making a cognitive association between gender and certain work abilities. In this case, the ability to perform in a career in STEM or the motivation to be in the labor market. These stereotypes are especially strong in a country like India, where not only are there very few women in the labor market, but social mores are startlingly conservative and women are seen at best benevolently to be taken care of, never as agentic with the ability to drive their own outcomes. Then we are engaging in representativeness bias. That is, when we encounter the question, how likely is this woman to be a successful programmer or computer scientist? We instead substitute that with the question, how well does this woman match my stereotype of a successful programmer? There's also confirmation bias. 
When there is ambiguous information about the woman, you interpret it in line with your stereotype and you reconfirm your stereotype. Kahneman and Tversky talk about how decisions are an outcome of two types of thinking, system one and system two. System one uses mental shortcuts, draws on stereotypes at the expense of evidence. And given that's the dominant form of decision making, it's safe to assume that gender biases plague several important decisions in our life and at work.